Good morning, Antioch. So good to be with you all again. And you know, it's it's awesome to see family back again. And I just want to say, if you're new or relatively new, it really amps us to see new faces too. So it's great to have you with us, uh, all of you with us this morning. We are a Bible-believing, note-taking church. We'll say that every Sunday. So please take out your Bibles, your apps, whatever it is that you need to follow along and also to take notes with. And if not, uh, there are some Bibles underneath the seats if you need one of those. We are in our third and our last week in the book and the letter of Jude. Jude is one of the shortest books in all of the Bible, and it also is the least preached book in the New Testament. And now that we're in our last week, I need to make a confession to you. When we were deciding on who or which five books to use in this series, I was not for Jude. I did not think, when, when Jude was brought up, I thought, Jude? I knew how short that letter was. I knew how f- few times that letter is preached. And I thought, Jude? Not Jude. And then three weeks? Three weeks on Jude? I thought, maybe one week. But three weeks? And then my last thought was, well, it's not going to be my problem. It's, <laughs> it's going to be Andrew's problem. So... I'm all for it. Good luck with that, Andrew. Better you than me. And then I end up getting the three weeks on Jude. So when I found out I was going to be doing Jude, I did what any faith-filled man would do. I tried to manipulate around it. I suggested that maybe we start one week in Jude and then skip over to James because James is Jude's brother. I mean, why not? And the content team would have none of that. We are doing three weeks in Jude. And you got to love God's sense of humor that I end up preaching the three weeks in Jude. And I have to tell you, like so often, I was wrong. Really, really wrong. I have learned so much as I've dove into this letter and saw the richness of it. Forgive me, Jude, for having so little faith in your short but powerful letter. The purpose of the letter is to urge all of us followers of Christ to contend for our faith. We must stand, fight, and defend the great faith that we've been entrusted with. And in week one, we saw and we followed Jude's example as he did first and foremost. He guarded the king. If we are going to contend well for our faith, we must first and foremost guard the supremacy of King Jesus over all other things. And the last week, we saw how Jude passionately attacked the lie that God does not care how you live out your life on earth. It's only um, your spirit that he cares about. It doesn't care anything about the physical life that you live and how you choose to live out your life. And because of that, he won't act, and he won't act accordingly, and there are no consequences for the way, you're live, the way you live your life. And Jude makes it very clear that that is just not true. And Jude walked us through and encouraged us how we see our life through God's eyes. Lives of great purpose, great calling for this world, for the kingdom, and for all eternity. And this week, we will receive God's direction through Jude for how we are to live our lives day to day as children of God. How do we live our lives each day as image bearers of God? 
Where does the power come from? Where does the leading come from? How do we do it? In fact, I was meeting with some of my discipleship group um, in the conference room over here, and we were having a discussion, and all we were talking about at the beginning was the swirl that, is, that we face every day in our lives, especially right now, the swirl of COVID questions and impact on our lives that we're being forced to wrestle with every day, the swirl of the race divide that is now causing issues and questions that is brought and the swirl of the political divide and even the swirl that we have as providers and leaders of our families and finally the swirl of competing conflicting confusing and often battling voices even inside the body of Christ and you got all this going on around us all the time, every day. And I listened to this. And as we discussed and agreed that this great swirl exists, I asked the question of our group. I said, so what do we do today? In the midst of all this swirl, what do we do today? And the guys looked and they go, that's a great question. And I contend that that is an honest question, a real question, and a critical question that all of us must answer. One of the strongest lessons from the scriptures is that your life is short. Psalm says this, we fool ourselves to think that our houses are forever, but our lives are not forever. In compared to eternity in the world, our lives are but a blink of an eye. And it's too short to get stuck getting up each day wondering, what do I do with today? If we don't answer that question well, I contend that we can get stuck for days, for weeks, for years, for a lifetime. Actually getting up each day and struggling with the same question, what do I do with today? And so that's the title of our message today. What do I do with today? Jude spends two-thirds of his letter pointing and talking about them. Remember we talked about, he spends two-thirds of his letters talking about the false teachers that were infiltrating and always will infiltrate the church. He had lots to say to, about them. He said that they, are, they trade the grace of God for destructive lives. They are hidden reeves. You won't see them, but you'll know it once you hit them. They're selfish shepherds and care only about themselves. They're empty clouds. Their promises never deliver. And they're pitch dark nights. They lead everyone that follows them into chaos and darkness. Jude was not a fan of them. But then... In verse 17, the entire tenor and the focus of the letter changes in verse 17. Because Jude says, but you, but you, Jude turns away from them. And you can almost see him literally turning around and saying, okay, now I'm not talking to them anymore. I'm now turning to you, the faithful the followers of Jesus, the ones who know you, who you are. I am now talking to the image bearers of the king. But you, he says, you ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the structure of this letter is actually a symbolic posture for the way we are to live. Yes, we must be aware of them. We must acknowledge that this exists. 
and the them are out there. But in time, there is a time where we turn away from them and we now focus differently. We have to put them away and focus on him. That's the shortest direction. Again, in verse 20, Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up. Now, we need to understand this building yourselves up language from Jude. Jude was speaking to Jewish Christians. There was nothing more important to the Jews than the temple. And the reason the temple was so important is that's where God dwelt. The Jews knew that if they got to the temple, that they would be where God was dwelling. And Jude grabs this language, and it's a metaphor. It's temple language when he says, build yourselves up. He says, you turn away from them, and you build yourselves up into the temple of God. You focus on the building of God's temple, and you are God's temple. Verse 17, but you focus on him. Verse 20, but you focus on you as the temple of God. Jude's instruction, don't focus on them. Focus on God in you. And that's a simple direction. There it is. If you remember nothing else from this message, from this entire message, remember Jude's example. He sees all the junks, all the lies, all the swirls, and he says, turn away from it. Turn your backs to it. And focus, but you today and every day focus on you and God in you, and everything else will fall in line. And then Jude gives some great direction on how. How do we live each day with our focus on God and you? Remember, at one point in the letter, Jude makes this defining distinction between them and you the faithful. He makes this distinction when he said, remember at one point, he says, they are worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. In verse 20, turning to us, the disciples of Jesus, Jude now says, but you, building yourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit. They are void of the Spirit. You be built up in the Spirit. Now, we need to camp here for a little bit to understand the immensity and the importance and the power of this instruction because this right here is a game changer. I need to tell you that I missed this truth for a long time in my Christian walk. I misapplied, I didn't understand the fullness. I minimized years of my Christian life and even missed my understanding of all that is available to me because and in and through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, I was walking with Jesus with one hand and two legs tied behind my back. And that's a tough way to walk. It is critical that we grab the power and grasp the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us. I'm not the only Christian who has missed this. I fear that many of us have or are missing it, which is a little bit surprising when you see the centrality of the Holy Spirit all through the scriptures. Now, this needs 20 messages, but we're going to grab just a taste of it this morning, and then we can grow in it as we journey on in our lives. Let's start with Jesus confirming the centrality, importance, and power of the Holy Spirit. 
Again, entire books and series are written on this. But we're just going to grab a few statements of Jesus that actually make it crystal clear. Jesus tells his disciples that the time of his departure is approaching. And they say to him, wait a minute, you can't leave us. What are we going to do once you leave? And John records this. Jesus says to them, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the parakletos, Holy Spirit, the parakletos will not come to you. Now think about this. Jesus confirms it's actually more important to have the parakletos in us than to have Jesus with us. That's a big statement. What is this parakletos, this Holy Spirit that carries tons of meaning? It carries God as our comforter, God as our advocate, God as our helper, God as our intercessor. God actually intercedes for each one of us. How long will he stay with us and in us? John 14, 6, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And what is his role? And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now I want to take a slight diver diversion back to week one with this statement. So according to this, it is his, the Holy Spirit's role, to convict the world of sin and judgment not mine and not yours. This goes back to our affirmation and admonition that we can focus on the supremacy of Jesus in all things and we can let the judgment be done by the Holy Spirit. Think about how much freedom that gives us. We can be about people that are more concerned about pointing out people's wins than their failures. We'll leave the failures to the Holy Spirit. And that sets us free to be people that are for people and not against people. Think about the freedom and the simplicity of leaving the judgment to God and just focusing on the supremacy of Jesus. Think about this. If people are not believers, what do they need? More Jesus, right? If there are lies being taught by someone, where will those lies be revealed? Talking about Jesus. It is always in the person of Jesus that lies are revealed. If there is disputes among the family of God, where will clarity come from? Talking about Jesus. It kind of sets us free each day. So what do I do? Focus on the king. And what do I do in this situation? Focus on the king. Isn't that a big relief when in doubt? Jesus. And leave the rest of it to the Holy Spirit. That sets me free for each day. How much do we need the Holy Spirit? Jesus says this, recorded in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What Jesus is saying is here, hey, y'all, you're gonna change the world. You are gonna literally change the world. And you go and you change the world. Go, change the world. Go, go, go. And don't you dare go anywhere until you've received the powers of the Holy Spirit. 
Go and don't you go anywhere until you get power from on high. How much is the Holy Spirit involved in saving people in the world? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, what freedom this gives us. The world can condemn and deny and malign Jesus until the Spirit is moving. And then they won't be able to say anything against Jesus. And you can debate, argue, and present all you want. But until the Spirit is moving, no one is going to be able to understand and accept Jesus either. What is the Holy Spirit's role in me, in you, day to day? Listen to all this. Direct, he directs us, Acts 13.2. Fills us, Acts 13.52. Witnesses to us, Acts 5. Rejoices with us in Luke 10. Teaches us, Luke 12. Pours out the love of God over all of us, Romans 5. Helps us to remember everything that Jesus taught us and told us, John 14. Guards the treasure that God has deposited in us, 2 Timothy. Gives us power, Colossians 1. What about the millions of dissenting voices around us at all time? The Holy Spirit will guide us into truth, John 16. How long will he be with us forever, John 14? What must I do to, receive, to, to have the Holy Spirit receive? Just receive, John 20. After looking at the fullness of the truth, of the power of God in the Holy Spirit available to us. Sometimes I've literally found myself saying out loud to God, so God, if I have this and I understand this and I feel this and I'm filled with this, then what can wreck my day? And I feel him saying, Steve, that's the one question I don't have an answer to. And I realize if all of this is true, then what in that swirl can wreck my day? Every time I struggle, it is because I have stopped believing or forgotten something, a truth about God and the Holy Spirit in me. Do you see why God through Jude says, turn from them and focus on me. Pray in the Holy Spirit. All those years I minimized, served, I, I minimized, I was serving God. I was doing good things. They were good things. But in my heart, in my soul, I always knew there was more. And I think I shared this illustration before, but God gave me this picture. I've got a long, long driveway, and I have to shovel it. And so I wanted to go get a snowblower, and I watched the video of the snowblower, and this thing throws snowblower 15 feet. I was so fired up to get this. I love machines. I get the snowblower. I go out there the first day, and I start blowing snow, and it's throwing it like two feet. I have to push in. It starts to bog down, back up, push in again. It took me like two hours to do my driveway. It was throwing snow, but it was nothing like I thought it was going to. And the next time I went out, I started doing it again, and then I realized, oh, my gosh, the choke's on. Turned the choke off. And that thing started throwing snow 12, 15 feet, and I was done in a half an hour. And I realized that was the picture of my life. 
I was walking through life with my choke on. And it was good, but it wasn't great. It wasn't God. You see, there's a difference. There is good, but there's a big difference between good and God. And the truth is, there's nothing real good without God. What do you do with today? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Start there, and he'll bring everything else into line. Jude goes on with another direction for how we are to live our life, each, with each day we are given by God. Verse 21, he says, keep yourself in the love of God. Now, I want to address this encouragement from God from two directions. Usually, the way that this is assumed is that we focus on keeping ourselves in the love that comes to us from God. That is usually the focus that we have, and that is most certainly true, and an encouragement that is all through the scriptures, and it must be a goal and a guiding principle of our lives. We have to focus on the love God has for us. The love God has for us means that we will have his presence and his joy and his counsel and his security and his compassion and purpose. The list goes on and on. It's endless of what we get as we understand how much God loves us. John 15, 9 says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. That word abide, it's way bigger than having like a relationship. It's way bigger than having a friendship or being familiar with. It has the concept of building a home in. Abiding is like making your home under the love of God. And Jude encourages, don't let them distract you. Don't focus on them. Focus on this. Focus on making your home in God's love. We as God's children are to build ourselves up through the love God has for us. And, and we are to building ourselves up in the love we have for God. It's not just the love God has for us. We have to be about building up ourselves in the love that we actually have for God. And when I say fall in love with God, sometimes the woo-woo meter just starts going crazy in people. That just feels a little too familiar with God. Feels a little emotional. Feels a little kind of, I don't know. And we start squirming in our seats a little bit. I can't love God like I love my wife. I can't love God like I love my children. I can't love God like I love my parents. I mean, he, he's God. Many of us were brought up on this solid rock of respect for God, of fear for God, of obedience for God, of reverence for God. We follow God because he is God, and that's just the way it is. And we don't need any more than that. I'll contend to you, I think the scriptures say we do need more than that. There is no faith without obedience, but there's something even greater than obedience. Like love from God towards us, love for God is also all through the scriptures and a sustaining part of our walk with God. If there was ever any question about this, Jesus settled it in Matthew 22, 36 through 37. He said, Teach, when he was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There it is. 
Not, you should know the love of God with all your heart, although that is true too. Jesus said, you should love God with heart, mind, and soul. Love God. Heart, mind, and soul, that sounds kind of woo-woo to me. That's got some woo-woo in it. That's got some emotion in it, and I know that scares us, but that's got some passion in it. That sounds like a deep, unbreakable, binding, joyful, expectant, exciting love affair with God. And I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And some of you are squirming. I I wish he'd stop saying love affair with God. That just kind of makes me uncomfortable. And I get it. To some of us, our upbringing, it even sounds dangerous. Some of us have been told that that is emotion and that we can't count on emotion. But emotion and love are two very different things. We cannot trust emotion. But love is powerful when it's real. God is is obedience. We follow God through obedience, and that sounds more reverent, and that sounds more solid, because obedience means compliance with an order, request, or law, submission to one's authority. But I will submit to you, there is no faith journey without obedience. You hear me? Let me say that again. There is no faith journey without obedience. But I would contend that obedience is like our tutor in order to lead us to actually falling deeply in love with God. Love is a strong, unbreakable love is even stronger than obedience. Let me illustrate. I was actually struggling with God for this as I was sitting in Panera one day because it was feeling like I was getting pulled towards this emotion fear And can I count on this, this love feeling that I'm doing? Is it really dependable? And I swear, God gave me this illustration. I was sitting in Panera, and he looked, showed me over a table, and he said to me, hey, Steve, if someone comes in, there was a a gentleman sitting over on this table, if someone comes in to take that man's life, what are you supposed to do out of obedience? I'm supposed to jump in front of it. I'm supposed to take what is about to come to him. Steve, will you do it? I hope so but I'm going to think about it. I'm going to wrestle with it a little bit because that's a big ask, but yes, I am supposed to do it and I hope I would do it. Now, Steve, take your daughter or your grandchild and put her in that chair. Will you do it? In a heartbeat. And all of a sudden I realized love is a stronger motivator even than obedience. But my problem was I didn't think I could love God that much. I leaned on obedience because I wasn't sure that I could actually fall in love like I love my daughter and my grandchildren and my wife, but I was wrong. We are encouraged to be loved by God and to fall madly in love with God. And I wanna say something make a statement that might sound a little offensive to some, but I want to just tell you this is my observation. As I have walked with Jesus now for 30 years, here's my observation. When I come across disciples of Jesus that are the most devoted to Jesus, that are the most at peace, that have the most power, that have the most joy, my observation is they aren't the ones that are just falling out of obedience. They are madly in love with Jesus. And they have a power 
that seems unbreakable. They're not just being obedient to God. They're crazy in love with God. And I have seen the greatest obedience falter at times of test. Because relying on obedience relies on my strength. Relying on my love for God begins to rely on him. The love of God and the love for God is what drove the early church. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. It must drive the body of Christ today. Jude says this day and every day, don't focus on them or out there. Build yourselves up in the love of God and with God each and every day. Don't focus on them. Instead, pray in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep yourselves in the love of God and keep in yourselves with the love with God. And last, with every day of your lives, build yourselves up in verse 21, waiting for Jesus. Jude 121 says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. This language for waiting, it is not a passive waiting. It is not receiving Jesus, hunkering down, and now waiting until he comes for the real stuff to begin. This waiting is active waiting. And it means living for him day in and day out. And it is made clear in the parables that Jesus shared as right before with his, with his followers, right before he was to be taken up. And the language he uses, he shares the parables about the bond slaves. And he says, one bond slave looks at his time and he says, I got plenty of time. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to live this way. And when I know for sure that the Lord is coming, then I will start living for him. The other says, I have no idea when the Lord is coming. And the best way to live is to live for him every day and be prepared. And Jesus leaves no doubt and says, it is blesses the one. And he does not even recognize the other. The parable of the three talents, three work hard to take what Jesus has given them and multiply it so they can give more fruit back to Jesus after their whole lives. One says, I'm going to live comfortably. I'm going to live safely. I am going to live a life that doesn't take any risk. And he says, I, my only goal is to give back to Jesus exactly what he gave me. And Jesus looks and says, that's a wasted life. That's a wasted life. In a parable of the virgins and the lamps, one, makes sure that they have done all they can to have all that they need so that they will be ready when the Lord shows up. And they store up and store up and work up and work up and they are ready. And another says, I'll do just enough to get by. And the Lord delays. And as that second group is going back to replenish what they were missing, the Lord shows up. And by the time they come back, he's moved on. That's a sad truth. Waiting is active. We have all, by the grace of God, been saved for a great purpose. Truly, we are to be about the Lord's work every day, this day, not waiting until tomorrow. Not waiting until tomorrow. We know what the Lord's work is. We don't know exactly what it will look like, but we know it will revolve around mercy, justice, healing, warring against evil, and praying for dead to be raised. We are to live lives of testimony, loving God, loving others in sacrificial ways, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And that last part, to eternal life. 
We are to build our lives in a way because it's the only thing that's going to last. Everything else is going to fall away. But everything you do for the kingdom today lasts forever. Life is short. And Paul said from prison, winter is coming. Winter is coming. And we have this promise from the lips of Jesus. Blessed are the one who the Lord finds waiting when he comes. Every day. We must be actively waiting for Jesus. Jude, warning to the church, life is too short to get stuck. Waking up every morning, asking the question, what am I supposed to do today? Wake up every day, building yourselves up in the power of the Holy Spirit, your comforter, your advocate, your power, your intercessor, your protector, and your teacher. Keep in the love of God and keep in love with God. Wait, actively wait for the Lord because he is coming and everything you do will last for eternity that's what you do with this day that's what you do with tomorrow that's what you do every day Jude writes a letter written thousands of years ago it's a critical letter it's an important letter it was so important that he needed it to be circulated to all the churches and 2,000 years later it has arrived at Antioch Indy the timing is perfect because it's a message for today. It's a message for this day. In a world filled with the uncertainty now magnified by COVID, in a world filled with people tearing each other apart and down, demanding, which side are you on? In a world filled with doubters who plant endless theories, ask endless questions, make endless accusations. In a world where literally millions of conflicting voices are getting louder and louder and louder every day. In a world where the family of believers are sometimes getting distracted in debate. You, you Antioch Church, you followers of Jesus, you every day, guard the king. See your lives as God sees your lives and build yourselves up in him. And Jude ought to know because Jude was one of them. When Jesus was alive, Jude did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And he told them so. And he taunted them. And then Jude saw Jesus live. And then he watched Jesus die. And then he watched Jesus rise again. And Jude turned away from them and finally, finally looked at the fullness of Jesus before him and came out, poured out of him some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. As he said, now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling to him who can present you before him blameless and with full joy. Our only Christ and savior through Jesus Christ who has all dominion, all authority, all majesty, all power back then from the beginning, now and forever. And all of us who have just tasted a taste of that. 
join Jude and say, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We like to be a church that responds to the word, not just the word preached today, just how the Spirit's moving in your life in any way. And so we'll have some of our prayer people down front. And this is a time for prayer for anything, something that has to do with the message, something that has nothing to do with the message, something that you just want to ask for help with, something that you want to celebrate. It doesn't matter. We're not here for counseling. You're not going to get counseled. You're just going to get prayed for. And why not? Why not? This is a safe place. So I'm going to close us in prayer, and then as our worship team prays, you'll see members of our prayer team up front, please don't leave here without getting the prayer that you need. Lord, we thank you for this letter written thousands of years ago that is so vital to us here today. It's such a treasure to dig in and find you're still speaking so poignantly to our lives today. And I pray that you help us day in, day out, not to get lost in the confusion, but instead have the certainty of what we are to do with each day. And then give us the power to do it. We won't leave until we receive power from on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.